child it was in me, my childhood day. Hello and welcome to Savage Yoga Snacks, the podcast for freaks, geeks, outcasts of yoga, and our allies. I'm your host, Steph Savage, and today I'm going to tell you about why you may never want to see me in one of your yoga classes. I open most of my classes with the line, you know your body best. If something doesn't feel right, feel free to skip it. You can take a different shape that I've offered, or if you need a break, come into any version of rest that feels good in your body. Do your best to honor your body and what it needs today, and don't worry about offending me or my ego. Let's begin. When I said that you wouldn't want me in your yoga class, I was not kidding. And I don't just mean as a student, I mean as a teacher as well. I have a habit of doing exactly what I want in a yoga class, regardless of anything that's happening around me. Not to the detriment of those who are trying to do their poses and trying to do their breath work, but if you're looking at me and you don't have your eyes on your own mat, I may throw you off a bit. I'm not trying to intentionally screw with the teacher or make anybody around me uncomfortable. I just want to do my own thing. I'm going to tell you about a time where doing my own thing eh, might have made the teacher a little upset. And by a little upset, I mean I might have gotten yelled at. Pretty early on in my yoga, quote, journey, I found a lot of the poses inaccessible in my body. Even breathing and something as, quote, simple as shavasana at the end of practices felt really uncomfortable and sometimes weird for me. I think it's important to note here, of course, that yoga is not a part of my culture as a white person, but I have a deep respect for the practice. So this is not my attempt to say this is what yoga should be. This is simply me saying this is what yoga is for me. I showed up to class and I made sure that I got there a little early so that I could get a spot in the back because I knew that I was going to look a little different doing each and every posture that we did and also at the end in Shavasana. And that will become apparent when I explain what happened. The instructor was nice. She was a young woman, probably no more than 25, blonde, thin, very flexible, cisgendered, but she had a nice attitude and, and a good air about her. As I mentioned before, a lot of poses were kind of inaccessible to me, and unfortunately, this teacher was not offering modification. Now, this was at a time where I didn't really know how to modify completely, so I would kind of just do my own thing. I just kind of followed along loosely and really focused on things that I knew, like down dog. Down dog felt great in my body, so that's something I would take. Even if she would call out child's pose, I would be up. In down dog. She started the class and she asked us to come into a seated position. Now, sitting up in seated position at that time, given the injuries to my knees, did not feel good. So I laid down on my back with my knees bent in constructive rest. She looked mildly annoyed, but I persisted, knowing that it felt best in my body to lay down. And she continued, 
I think I might have maybe thrown her off a little bit, but she seemed to recover pretty quickly. And we got on with a few breathing exercises, none of which I followed because none of them felt good for me. So I simply just went to my go-to pranayama at the time, dirga breath or three-part, three-chamber breath. She was offering ujjayi breath and lion's breath and one more. She then asked us to do some neck rolls. I simply moved my head from side to side. And then she offered some side extensions, side bends, and I simply came into Bananasana pose or crescent moon pose. Though I couldn't physically see her, I could hear her voice, and I noticed that the tone was changing from carefree to a little sharp. And I started to wonder if perhaps I was the cause. Finally, she moved us from seated into tabletop for a little cat-cow. And I decided to get up because this is something that felt good in my body. I came into cat-cow and I kind of glanced up in her direction, not wanting to make eye contact. And she seemed relieved. So we went on. This was a general half a class, but you could tell she had a little bit of a vinyasa background. So she took us through a couple of rounds of Sun Salutation A, and then we met each other in Mountain. In Mountain, she asked us to lock our knees and stay perfectly still, bringing our toes to touch. I do not have a body that allows my feet to touch. My thighs are quite large, and they simply don't do that. So... I did what I always do. I took my feet about hip distance apart, maybe a little wider, bent my knees pretty deeply to get a nice foundation, and then I started swaying a little bit from side to side. The instructor let out what sounded like an incredulous sigh. I closed my eyes and just focused on my breath and focused on the movement, trying to find that perfect center and balance that I was seeking. Now I would describe her mood as angry, to say the least. We went through the rest of the practice, her offering things, me not really taking the suggestion and doing my own thing, until we finally got to Shavasana. In a later episode, I'm going to go into detail about why I feel the way I feel about Shavasana, But needless to say, for me, it was not happening. Wishing to be as respectful and trying not to be disruptive in any way, I simply sat quietly while everyone else laid down in the exact same position. And I bowed my head and focused on my breath. You know one of those moments where you can feel someone's eyes on you? I happened to look up and there was the instructor glaring at me. I think if she had had something to throw, it would have been tossed in my head. Shavasana ended and she began to close out the class. She brought her hands into Anjali Mudra and I did the same. And then she said, Namaste, with a bow to everybody and asked us to say it back. I did not. I do not say namaste at the end of any of my classes. I understand and recognize it as a traditional greeting. So I simply do not use it to close my classes. The teacher immediately got up and I started 
frantically packing up my things, knowing what was happening and what was going to come next. Judging from the reaction of most of the students around me, I don't think many people even noticed that I was kind of doing my own thing, which was good because, again, I have no desire to be disruptive both to the teacher and also to the students around me. The instructor, though, was pissed. She was standing at the exit, kind of glancing over at me now and then, and she did not look happy. So I decided that I was going to wait until everybody left and explain a little bit about why I did what I did. The last student funneled out, and before I even had a moment to say anything, the instructor turned around, looked me in the eye, and said, that was really not okay. I knew she was angry, but I was not expecting to be yelled at. I paused, took a breath, and said, I am sorry, but no buts, no buts. I do not want you coming back to this class. I was a little bit taken aback and feeling pretty embarrassed. So I wanted to explain myself, but I realized she was a little too angry to have this conversation. So I grabbed my things and walked out without saying another word. On my way out of the studio, I grabbed one of her business cards and that night I sent her an email apologizing for making her feel uncomfortable. Looking back, I realized I was kind of doing her job for her. I was offering myself modifications and various poses that she wasn't offering me in the moment. However, I did make her feel very bad, so I apologized. I never heard back from this teacher, and I never went back to that studio. A part of me hopes that one day she'll realize what I was doing was not that egregious, and she's now offering modifications for people when they come to her classes. Fingers crossed. I think also her ego was definitely very bruised. And when our egos are bruised, we can get a little nasty. When somebody threatens our sense of self, we can become irrational, angry, frustrated, very easily. I think that's what was happening here. I think the instructor felt that she was a good teacher and that her instructions were clear and seeing me do all of these different poses and modifications and different breathing exercises was very challenging for her because I think it was threatening not only her understanding of what she thought yoga is, but also her abilities as a teacher. And I think when our egos are bruised, there's usually a little grain of truth. And I think that's the case here. Though she was clear in her instructions, I think if she had been able to offer those modifications and I hadn't had to add them in myself, it would have been a better experience for both of us. Having said that, I think it's important to note that the pendulum swings both ways. I read an article recently in the Times of India written by Bejan Daruwali, wherein he said, Aquarius people are advanced, self-reliant, clever, exceptional, and optimistic. Air is their elemental sign. Aquarians, like air, lack a distinct form and appear to resist classification. In other words, we're special, or at least this Aquarius likes to think so from time to time. And there comes the ego again. 
I walk a fine line between doing my own thing and standing out just to stand out and being different from everyone else. I was sincere when I said that I didn't want to disrupt or distract in that class or any class that I'm in, but I would be lying if I didn't say that my ego gets a little boost knowing that I am, quote, different in those moments. Now, I'm not big into astrology, and I'm not an astrologer myself, but I have to admit, when I look at my star sign, a lot of things add up. I'm a fiercely independent person, which is why I had to end up modifying in that class in the first place. I've spoken about my injuries and hurting myself in previous episodes, but I'm left to wonder, am I independent or am I just stubborn? For a long time, I would bend my body to fit a practice instead of changing or bending a practice to fit my body. As a result, when I take yoga classes taught by other teachers, I pretty much do my own thing. I follow along loosely, but really, I'm there for me, not them. I still have the same respect for the teacher and the class, and I in no way try to disrupt or show off. And I do make sure that I show up early so that I can get a spot in the back so I'm not distracting anybody. I understand that there's some people who simply don't keep their eyes on their own mat, and that's okay. If I ever see anybody looking at me, I kind of just smile and just kind of glance at the teacher and hope that they get the point. I've learned since that experience as well to make sure that I warn the instructor that this is going to happen. Again, I have no desire to throw somebody off, especially when they're trying to teach a class full of people. I let them know, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's just the way I am. And usually the instructor is pretty okay with it. In fact, I think most people are happy that I tell them. Occasionally there's a little sigh of relief when I realize they've never taught a body like mine and they had no idea what to do with me. That's enough to cover in another episode, but I'm happy that at least I'm not disrupting or making the instructor feel bad. A friend of mine who happens to be an instructor said that I come with a warning label, which is true and frankly a little sad because I think that good instructors know how to modify Good instructors and all instructors should modify. When someone comes to your class and they're not, quote, able to do what you planned, you better have a plan to accommodate that person or they're never going to come back to that class and you may have made their first yoga experience terrible. There are a number of accessible yoga courses that you can take and one in particular I'm going to shout out is Yoga for All by Diane Bondi and Amber Carnes. Uh, Diane is an author and she has two books on the subject. I highly recommend checking out the books and the training to students and teachers alike. It's a nice way to bring some accessibility into your practice. At the beginning of the episode, I told you what I say in my classes to help make people feel more comfortable when maybe what they're doing doesn't always match what I'm saying. And I also find that that gives people a little bit more agency in my classes. It's important to note here that in trauma-informed classes and spaces, I will add more structure just because that is the nature of that kind of work. I tend not to uh, give too many options, but I do make sure that I give a few just for people uh, to feel that the practice can be accessible for them. 
I've also experienced a taste of my own medicine many times from a student that regularly used to come to one of my Sunday classes. They pretty much did their own thing. They took exactly what I said in the beginning of my class to heart. And I'm not going to lie, at first, it threw me off. I needed to practice what I preached, and I did. And I have to say, I have a great deal of respect for this student because she knows her body and she knows her boundaries. She is there for herself and not for my ego. In researching this episode, I came across a study done by two researchers with Anamalaya University in Chanandram, Tamil Nadu in India. K. Yogalakshmi and Jaylata looked at the effect of selected yoganasanas pranayama, and meditation on the creativity of entrepreneurs. They cited other studies that found creativity is a mental and social process involving the generation of new ideas or concepts or new association of the creative mind between existing ideas or concepts and summarized that the creative person can have a certain characteristic such as strong motivation, endurance, intellectual curiosity, deep commitment, independence of thought, and action. Their methodology involved 40, quote, medically healthy, end quote, entrepreneurs who were selected from Chidambaram town of the Kudalor district in Tamil Nadu at random ages ranging from 30 to 65. They were divided equally into two groups, a control, entrepreneurs not practicing yoga, and a treatment group, entrepreneurs practicing yoga. The treatment group underwent a 12-week yoga asana, pranayama, and meditation training, while their control group was restricted from any form of training intervention. The primary data was collected through a questionnaire before the training period and after the training completed. The collected data was analyzed using an algorithm, and the results of the study showed that yoga training can be an effective intervention to enhance creativity for entrepreneurs. They further surmised that brain cells create ideas, stress kills brain cells, and yoga training proves to be effective in stress management. Thus, yoga training is one of the best interventions for the entrepreneurs to be stress-free and their brain cells to get rejuvenated, and therefore making them creative. Circling back to the idea of independence, Andrea Rice, an author for Wanderlust, wrote a great piece in Wanderlust Journal entitled Independence Pose, Yoga as Freedom. I highly recommend you read the entire article. But on rebellion, she wrote, quote, To be a yogi means to go against the status quo of what we think we should look like or should do with our lives. We rebel against the norm, against what our families may have expected us to do with ourselves and our careers. Our yoga gives us the ability to stay true to our own path, to march to the beat of our own drum as we pursue our most cherished dreams. I think this is true, and I add that this extends into yoga circles as well. We must push back against the idea of the perfect yogi and pursue our own path of movement, breath, and meditation. We're not just posing, but we're yogaing to the beat of our own drum. So what's the takeaway here? I suppose you could say that Aquarians are all stubborn mules who refuse to conform but then I would have an angry mob of astrology lovers in my DMs just as soon as they were finished recording some obscure musical composition that is years ahead of its time while being the most unique person in their friend group. Of course, I'll be right there with you. But I think the real conclusion here is that we could all stand to get to know our bodies a little bit better 
Building an inner awareness and cultivating a neutral witness that can keep us safe, help us understand what may be going on inside, and maybe even help humble your next yoga instructor's ego. And now it's time for a yoga snack to get you through to your next coffee break. Today's practice comes to us from my mentors and instructors, Jules Payne and Michelle Schroeder from Agna Yoga College. We're going to go through some interoceptive tools to help build interoception. Interoception is the mindful awareness of what is happening inside of our body, and as I mentioned before, cultivating a neutral witness. Let's start with a two-minute check-in. Begin with the question, am I in my body or not in my body? Am I in my body or not in my body? Next, we'll practice some breath awareness. Noticing your inhales and your exhales without trying to change anything about them. We can ask ourselves some questions. Does the breath feel long and slow or short and shallow? Does the breath feel like it's getting stuck anywhere or does it feel like it's flowing with ease? We can say to ourselves, I breathe in. I breathe out, I breathe in, I breathe out, mindfully I breathe in, mindfully I breathe out, mindfully I breathe in, mindfully I breathe out. Now I'll invite you to bring your hands onto your body. This is a point of contact between our hands and our body that we can use as a portal to our interoceptive awareness. Perhaps you can bring your hands to your belly or your heart, noticing if we feel warmth or any physical sensation that's coming up. Next, we can bring our hands together and gently massage the hands. This helps to teach us about the boundaries of our bodies. Lastly, we can do a body scan, starting with her feet. Noticing your toes, the tops of your feet, your ankles, drawing your awareness to your chins and your knees up your thighs, to your hips and your pelvis, your glutes and your low back and your belly, noticing your ribs, your sides. Paying attention to any sensations of heat or cold, discomfort or comfort, numbness, we continue moving up our hands, 
our elbows, into our shoulders and chest, our neck, all the way up into our heads, to the crown. Feel free to go up and down your body a few times and notice any sensation that's coming up. From here, we can take a few deep breaths. If your eyes were closed, feel free to open them. And know that you can use these tools anytime you want to explore a deeper sense of interoception or inner awareness. That's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, it's okay to march to the beat of your own drum, even if you're out of step with the rest of the band. And as always, stay weird. <laughs>